You are now listening to the Fat Fix Podcast with David Flowers, a show talking about all things fat loss and health for the general population. Helping people understand why they are in the position they're in right now, rather than just focusing on what they need to do. Your no-nonsense personal trainer friend that you can have access to in your pocket whenever you need some help, guidance or just to kick up the arse. Hello and welcome to episode number 32 of the Fat Fits podcast. This is a special COVID-19 edition talking about all things home training. This week I was joined by Kyle Dobbs of Rebel Performance. Kyle is a world-class coach who works with a variety of athletes in the US. Today we discussed home training and how to make the most of it during this period stuck at home. We wanted to go into the whys behind things to give you a better idea of how to keep some muscle, power and fitness around during these times of confinement. So without further ado, this is episode number 32 of the Fat Fix podcast, Life Behind Four Walls, a COVID-19 special featuring Kyle Dobbs. Hi Kyle, welcome to the Fat Fix podcast. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Um, really happy to be on for sure. Talk about home workouts and ways to increase your fitness when you're, uh, you don't have access to a full, full gym arsenal. No, I'm really looking forward to this one. And just before we get underway, Kyle, do you want to just give the listeners a little bit of a rundown on who you are and what you do? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll give you the, the, the short version, but I've been in the industry for about 15 years. Um, I, I started as a trainer uh, in New York City and got, you know, did that for, you know, seven or eight years and then got into management and upper management and then was eventually a national director and education director for a company overseeing uh, the entire United States from that. And then um, more recently over the last two years, I've kind of struck out on my own and formulated my own business, Compound Performance. And then more recently over the last three months, merged my business with the business of a good friend of mine, James Serby. Uh, and now we're, we're all under the rebel performance umbrella. So, uh, James, uh, Matt Domney and myself are kind of, are all co-owners of the rebel performance. Yeah. I was just going to say, um, I've been following your work for quite a while and I, I know that I've been giving you a bit of shout outs on social media and I wanted to kind of get you on to get, the source of my learning on, to be honest with you. I didn't want to, I wanted to get people who I learn a lot from so I can introduce them to my listeners. They have access to be able to listen to coaches like yourself who may have, may not heard of before and introduce the rationales behind the reasons why we do certain things. And I think the home workouts has been quite a popular topic of late, hasn't it, Kyle? So Hopefully today, me and you are going to clear up a lot of people's concerns with what they can do with regards to health and fitness to keep them moving forward during this time. Obviously, with the spread of the COVID-19 virus, it's left a lot of people gymless and not being able to attend the gym and or even play any sport or anything like that in general. It's, it's complete something that I never thought I'd be doing a podcast on. Let me just say that first and foremost. So I think it would be probably a good place to kick this one off, Kyle, with what shouldn't people be doing during this time when it comes to the training? Or, or not even that, but necessarily just being sat around and how that can impact all areas of the health, fitness and body composition performance. I think that would probably be a good place to start, wouldn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's even pretty simple, right? Is it, it's just don't, uh, don't do nothing, you know, is kind of rule number one, you know, and I think just putting into perspective this, this time frame for a lot of people is going to be really important. And, and again, we don't know how long this is going to go on, uh, but with kind of our best estimates and just kind of understanding that we're probably looking at like a, a four to eight week window where we might not be able to go to the gym and we might not be able to do kind of our traditional training program or the, the programs and periodization schemes that we were using before, right? We don't have access to a lot of us anyways, you know, barbells, squat racks, trap bars, benches, whatever. Um, if you do have a home gym, that's fantastic. And you can kind of keep operating as normal. I myself do not, right? So I've got a, a handful of kettlebells and a rower and uh, some mismatched dumbbells here and there um, and bodyweight stuff, right? So what we're kind of putting out as far as training programs and what you see a lot of online are just ways to maximize fitness or minimize, you know, fitness drop off probably even more accurately with just your body weight, right? And things that can be found around the house. And those are, you know, programs like that are super prevalent right now on social media. And I think that's one, that's great. You know, I think that it's a really good thing that so many uh, professionals in the industry are putting out free information and showing people workouts and trying to motivate people and, and do all those things. Um, that's, that's a really good attribute of the industry. And I think, you know, the majority of people that are doing that have very sincere and authentic intentions with that. Um, what we're trying to put out is, you know, not just workouts, but ways to be really efficient because there are qualities that you can be training that you can, you know, optimize a little more with body weight more so than others. Right. You know, and a lot of what we're talking about with people is, you know, you're, you're not going to PR in your living room, like increasing things like acute strength um, or, or hoping to uh, is, is really kind of the wrong goal right now, right? And there are other general fitness qualities that you can really be training, you know, pretty well when it comes to like sensory motor competency and work capacity. You know, you can be training pretty efficiently in those buckets uh, and, and minimizing strength drop-off as much as possible over this time um, and, and not be spinning your wheels and kind of wasting your time frustrating. Yeah, I think it's good to understand the the whys behind things and some of the benefits behind why we do certain things. And that's um, what we spoke about just before we jumped on the call is there's, it's great that a lot of people are sharing these home workouts and things like that, but I'd like to take a different approach. And I know that you guys do at rebel performance with some of the articles that you put out with actually teaching people why they're doing certain things. And, and I know that you, you say something like, was it simple, not easy? Um, <laughs> kind of, kind of, I really like that quote because it's, we're seeing a lot of people overcomplicating things and doing all these mad fancy exercises just because it's at home. And like we, like you said before, it's great to see it, but whether it's optimal for what most people need and actually teaching them the rationales behind why we program a certain way, they can hopefully understand how they can program in the gym going forward. And it doesn't just turn into some kind of aerobics class at home. And there's actually a thought process behind it to keep these things in place, like the fitness, like body composition, muscle tissue, or at least maintain it. Because we know, like you said, we're not going to be breaking world records in the front room. We're not going to be piling on loads of muscle tissue during this period of time, because we just don't have access to a gym to create enough intensity through load 
to be able to drive forward and create them adaptations when it comes to hypertrophy. Um, I think it would be a good place to look into that a little bit more, Kyle, in terms of applying stress without loads because we don't have access to a gym and it would be good for you to kind of touch on some examples with what types of training people can do to at least maintain some degree of muscle mass, muscle tissue during this period of time. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think I'll even start a little bit before that, right? So the way that we look at programming, right, is we kind of, we look at training qualities into three big buckets, right? So we look at first, and this is a level of, essentially a level of intensity and in scaling up, right? So we've got sensory motor competency, right, first, which is our lowest intensity level. It's really looking at motor learning, patterning, kind of like a quote-unquote muscle activation integration, things of that nature, like our, our respiration exercises fit into those buckets. Um, some of the isometrics, especially when we look at like eccentric isometrics, fit into those buckets. And then we start getting into uh, work capacity, right? So we look at training capacity, right? So this is more volume-based. Intensity goes up a little bit. Volume goes up a little bit. And we start looking at just like total volume, right? So when we're looking at this, that's when we're getting into also like maximizing arterial blood flow, minimizing pain, stumping. So it's kind of a, a poor man's BM, like BMR, uh, BFR, sorry, as well. And we start looking at that for like hypertrophy and just general strength gain, right? And, and increased work capacity through mitochondrial and capillary density um, and increased oxygen flow, right? Just through like heart rate variability training. And then we start looking at the, the most intense is going to be our output driven work. And this is going to be, you know, low rep, uh, high rest, high intensity, max effort work, right? And that's where we start getting into like our big lifts. And those are all going to be sagittal bilateral lifts for us. If you're an Olympic uh, lifting enthusiast, enthusiast, it's going to fit into this as well. Short duration sprinting is going to fit into this. It's basically anything that's going to be anaerobic by nature. So your total time work is going to be under around 20 seconds for most of this, right? So you're looking at very low rep or very little, very low uh, time max effort work when it comes to like sprinting or things of that nature. So what we're looking at here is, you know, the, the obvious input that's going to be limited when you're not in a gym is your ability to overload, right? As you said, so that output bucket is is really dampened by the fact that we don't have access to barbells or you know metal of any kind plates whatever and we can't overload our system enough to get that type of neuromuscular response right so what we're looking at from an output perspective is you know in our programs like we're focusing on like sprinting and like plyometrics like repeat broad jumps things of that nature for people who are trained um if if, if we're looking at gym pop populations that's where we're looking at, you know, again, sprinting is, is going to be very subjective and very individualistic, right? So what we usually will have people do is, you know, find a hill, you know, 15 to 20 degree grade works really well. And that actually works better for a lot of people, stride length as well. And we're just going to have you sprint up it as fast as you can for about 20 seconds. Um, and then walk back down, let yourself, you know, catch your breath for a good 20 seconds to a minute and do it again, right? And we'll do repeats of anywhere between uh, five to 10 rounds, or for somebody who's more trained, we'll give them like a total time interval of like 15 to 20 minutes. 
And that's a good way to also measure progress over time. Um, a lot of the other stuff that we're going to be doing with people when it comes to, you know, traditional quote unquote strength training is going to be geared at that sensor motor competency and capacity based bucket, right? So we're utilizing a lot of tools, right? Like just again, from a drill and prep standpoint, a lot of respiration work, um, just getting people, you know, focusing on orientation and position of their axial skeleton, looking at rib cage and pelvis mechanics, looking at ISO holds within those positions. So we've got like bare position planks, we've got 90, 90 hip lifts. Um, and then we're getting into things that are going to be a little more challenging, right? And we're looking at more overloading through like split squats and push-up ISOs, things of that nature, right? And those, for the most part, with the people that we're working with at home, those are all going to be eccentric-oriented uh, isometrics where you're resisting gravity rather than like concentrically pushing into something, right? Um, and then from there, you know, we can get into more of the like work capacity-based stuff where we're going into density circuits and we're going into static dynamics and things of that nature. Yeah, so it's kind of just going back to what you said before, we're not able to do deadlifts and things like that. So when it comes down to this heavy loading, like you just mentioned then, and when you go down to the, how can we kind of create that similar stimulus? You're talking about the hill sprints for that type of work for the individual who obviously don't have access to the gym to keep that around within your training to some degree during this, during this period we're in isolation. Yeah, and, it's, and again, it's not going to be the same thing, right? It's not as big a stimulus, but it is a mm. stimulus, stimulus when it comes to your central nervous system and neuromuscular integration. So if you have bells, like that's where also like swings and ballistics, things of that nature would come into play. Uh, so there are some things that we can incorporate. We're just going to have to make sure that, you know, we're able to do it in a safe environment, depending on where somebody is. And we're going to have to be able to do it with very minimal equipment. So, you know, using your body, right, obviously uh, your body accommodates its own weight as resistance very quickly, right? So that's where it's hard to increase actual intensity from that perspective, right? Like you can go into like a bilateral deficit and do single leg work, but again, your body's going to accommodate that very quickly, right? And, you know, so what we can do is do more velocity-based work and ballistics to try to drive neuromuscular stimulation so instead of focusing on power we're looking at more velocity curves and being able to drive that aspect of training to get a similar response definitely not the same response like i'm not going to tell you that a, a 10 meter sprint uh, or a 20 meter sprint is the same as you know a 95r you know percent one rm deadlift mm. it's not the same thing right but what we're going to be actually simulating a little more is probably looking at repeats around that 70 percent range of like a lift where you can still lift with a little bit of speed with a little bit of velocity um and you can have more of a repeatable effort than grinding out like a really heavy single or something of that nature so it's a different mechanism but it's a similar energy system usage from that standpoint and cns response no that's a really good point to make and it's something it's like i said before it's explaining the reasons behind certain things if we don't have access to the gym we can't do these big lifts but we want to keep some degree of power around. We can go outside. We can, like you said, just run up some hills, do some sprints, get some kettlebell swings in, keep some velocity within our training. And then when it comes to the other aspects like driving or keeping some degree of muscle tissue around, that's when we can start utilizing these other things like statodynamic work, 
as in working at really slow tempos, isometric work, myo reps, loads of things like that. Utilization of bands, utilization mm -hmm. of even partnered workouts where they're applying a little bit of manual force on your back for doing press ups just to give you some degree of um, stimulus that replicates very much towards what you're going to get at the gym just in a different fashion because obviously yeah. you don't have access to lifting these heavy loads. Because I think that's a lot of people's concerns, isn't it, right now, is how do I, especially lads, I know myself yes, falls into this bracket, is the concern of how am I keeping some degree of muscle tissue around here? How am I going to keep some strength around? And, and this is where it all ties into play, isn't it, to the different types of training we can do to, to make sure we can at least, to some degree, keep things in a good place. Yeah, and I mean that's that's the other important thing that to look at with this. You know, the like muscle actually takes a long time to atrophy, right? You know, so if we're doing something, you know, throughout this period of time, a lot of people aren't going to actually experience a ton of actual muscle loss or, mm -hmm. or atrophy, right? Like they might have strength deficits where they're not as strong when they go back to the gym and have to build their way back up. Like that's and a lot of that even just has to do with the novelty of the equipment they're using, right? More so than probably anything else. Uh, but if you're doing a lot of this other training, right, where you are accumulating volume and accumulating reps, you're going to decrease that actual degradation significantly over somebody who's just not doing much of anything, right? And, and even looking at like a lot of the studies that we've seen, like, um, like even max power and one rep max is usually takes somewhere between four to six weeks to, of inactivity to really drop off significantly. You know, so a lot of us aren't going to lose a ton of upper end strength. And the people who are more strength biased, you know, working on work capacity and patterning and sensor motor competency for the next, you know, four to six weeks or so probably isn't the worst thing for them, right? Because again, when we look at these training qualities, like those things run inverse typically, right? Like, if you're going to be working on sensory motor competency, the intensity has to be super low, right? Because it's complex. You've got complexity entered in and complexity and intensity have a inverse relationship. If you're looking at work capacity and capacity-based training, again, volume and intensity have an inverse relationship. If you're going to be doing a lot of something, it can't be super heavy, yeah. right? It has to be a lower percentage of whatever you're doing. So, this is where, you know, for, the, for those strength-based athletes, they're doing a lot of heavy lifting. Typically, their work capacity and their more uh, competency, movement competency, movement quality is typically kind of poor for the most part. Like, they're very bilateral, satchel dominant. They don't do a lot of stuff on a single leg, and they don't do a lot of things for a ton of time under tension. And they typically also don't do a lot of things with low rest intervals at a high heart rate, right? So we can drive all those qualities now where we have the opportunity in the environment to do so. And over time, when they get back to the gym and build back up their strength, they're probably gonna actually see increases in a lot of that stuff because now they've filled in a lot of gaps in their training, right? And when you look at like most off-season training, even for power athletes, a lot of it is geared around work capacity. And they don't even get into the heavy strength stuff and the low rep stuff until they're actually tapering and peaking for a meet. Like we work with a lot of power lifters and when they're in their off season, they're doing a ton of stuff at submaximal weight, right? Just building up work capacity because 
we know that the higher work capacity you have also the higher rate of recovery you have like aerobic uh, aerobic capacity is going to be a huge thing in allowing power and strength athletes to actually recover between sets and between actual sessions right so the, the better recovered you are the more output that you can do repeatable day over day over day over day throughout the course of an actual like phase selection program so like this stuff's only going to benefit people long term it's going to fill in gaps in their training and again, and, and kind of what, you know, James and I were talking about this a few days ago, Matt and I talk about it all the time, right? If you want to find something, you know, negative about this, you'll find it. If you want to find something positive about this situation, you'll find it, right? And I think this, this should give a lot of athletes and a lot of clients the opportunity to introduce a lot of variability-based training that they typically don't get within the gym environment that they're, that they're working with. Yeah, it comes down to the individual. Obviously, a lot of listeners to my podcast will be a variance of people. You could have one person who goes to the gym and they really love lifting heavy loads, like we've mentioned. You've got one person who goes to the gym who loves this work capacity work, like we spoke about, circuit training, like getting a sweat on in the gym. And it's now a time and a place to kind of look at what type of training that you've been doing, what type of training that obviously you enjoy, and then picking the things that you need to do to keep you on track with your goals and obviously when it comes down to what you briefly spoke about before doing nothing this is what a lot of people that's probably the only concern when it comes to really losing muscle during this time or the elderly who who are going to be more sedentary during this time if they're not allowed out for 12 weeks it's only really those that need to worry but most people who are fit and healthy who are kind of regular gym goers per se they're not really we don't really need to worry too much about what may happen or may not happen and just what we can really get out of this situation to improve all areas of our training in general and actually not potentially be biased with one thing and actually see some other types of training like you mentioned there it's I've obviously been going to with my training I very much love my lifting my weights and my heavy training but now even getting outside and doing hill sprints that I've not done for a while are going to be something that I introduce into my training at the, at the minute to hopefully give me some kind of stimulus like not being the deadlift, but something along those lines that's going to really work for my personality as well, because I, I love that stuff and I know a lot of people do as well. And it's, it's finding what type of what type of training that you have been doing what, or what you've even been missing out on and then using this time the best you can to find something and do something completely new, even if it is some getting out in the garden and doing some farmer's carries with water canisters or filling up a wheelbarrow with stones and doing some like farmer's walks with a wheelbarrow just to yeah. elicit something and, and build on what you may have not been working on for forever, especially, especially a lot of lads that may listen to my podcast especially young lads, they may just find themselves going to the gym, doing the same routine, chest, back, arms, every single day. This just gives a little bit of freedom to your training and it gives a bit more like variety, versatility with it and fun as well, doesn't it? It does, you know, and I think that's, that's the other big thing is just understanding that, you know, you can drive, because a lot of the stuff we're doing is going to be body weight, right? Like you can drive way more volume than you're able to drive at the gym. 
I mean, like for instance, yesterday I did a 10 by 10 push-ups, right. With about 40 seconds in between and trying to keep things at like a two, two tempo. Mm-hmm. And I was incredibly sore afterwards and it was hard, right. Keeping position and maintaining that position and, and maintaining tempo both eccentrically and concentrically. And it, it's completely different than doing a three by five or five by five or three by 10 bench press, right. It's, it's a completely different feeling and it's a different um, mechanism for working right the same those muscles right and working through those patterns um you know again it's like we're not completely dropping off the the muscles we're training we're just training them a different way and you can find ways to challenge yourself if you're willing to put in the effort and you know kind of what we were speaking about even before the call that one of the biggest issues that i see is i'm kind of just you know perusing my newsfeed uh is people are trying to find ways to add a ton of complexity to this body weight stuff. And one of the big issues is this, as I mentioned earlier, is like um, intensity and complexity and volume and complexity all have inverse relationships. So the more complexity you have, the less volume you're going to be able to do, right? And the less intensity you're going to be able to do it with. And if you want to look at tissue adaptation and tissue change and kind of the things that we're trying to drive through work capacity, complexity is not gonna be your friend, right? you're much better off doing 50 just normal push-ups with tempo than trying to crank out 10 single arm push-ups or clap push-ups or something <laughs> of that nature. Like that, like a lot of that stuff is just fairly worthless, like in times like this. Like you're not doing what you actually think you're doing. And not only that, but you're probably also compromising technique, form, and all those other things, right? Just movement quality in general, right? So if you're willing to work at the basics within this time frame, you can actually see pretty significant improvements with a lot of the stuff you're doing, you know? And again, just even looking at things like the isometrics, like we typically program those for like five minutes accumulated time, right? So if you're doing a circuit of even split squats and, and bear, you know, planks, right? Like you're accumulating five minutes per leg and then five minutes on that bear plank, for a lot of people, that's a very hard workout. Like, cause I'll do typically like a minute at a time with about 20 seconds rest in between exercises with that. And that'll get your heart rate going. That will get muscle integration happening. Like you will feel everything, especially in those split squats, right? And then you can move into something that's more, you know, dynamic where you're going through full ranges of motion, whether that's a density circuit of exercises, or whether that's like kind of anti-glycolytic work, which we do a lot of as well. Um, and you, you'll feel, you know, you'll, you'll maybe not be as sore the next day, but you will feel like neurologically spent after doing that. Like you'll know you did something well. And the other side of things is like, you're doing it all with very minimal rest and you're keeping your heart rate somewhere in that like 150 to 160 range. Like it's high the whole time. So you're also building a lot of needed aerobic capacity, right? And from a conditioning standpoint, like I said, we do a lot of sprints, but we also do a lot of like LICT work, right? Like low intensity continuous training where on one of the days, I believe we're doing like, you know, two 10 minute blocks of step ups where you can use a bench, you can use a chair. If you've got a staircase, that second step works really well, right? Where you're just accumulating, you know, a ton of reps over the course of a 10 minute block, resting two minutes and then going into another 10 minute block, right? We have a lot of, again, HICP sets for that as well, where if you've got kettlebells, we program swings that way. 
but we also do like lower level plyometrics that way where we're looking at uh, like say five by two minute blocks with 30 seconds to 60 seconds rest in between where we'll have like a 20 to 24 inch step or box or whatever and you're just doing a max effort jump every three seconds for those two minute stops right and if you've got a med ball you can do med ball slams the same way and just doing like working energy system like that like now we're working into both aerobic and more glycolytic based work and you can find ways to really improve and challenge your energy system efficiency through just mechanisms like that adding in sprints doing more longer distance running a big thing that we're telling everybody to do as well right if, if you're not a walker start walking get 10,000 steps a day in especially if you're not working and you have the time to do it get outside right get some fresh air even if it's cold i did 15,000 steps this morning it's about 37 degrees here right listen to a podcast and walk right you know those are things that are also going to improve like your low level aerobic efficiency and you know you you walk for that long with your heart rate somewhere in the 70s to 80s maybe even to the hundreds if you're pushing the pace and that's all good work that you can be doing it's going to raise your overall bmr right so you're going to be working more efficiently from a metabolic standpoint throughout the day as well you know you just don't want to be sedentary you don't want to like we said do nothing because there are plenty of options from that standpoint yeah, definitely. And I, th I think even as well, um, going back to it, if some people have been training really relentlessly, especially since the new year where they've been going to the gym five, six times a week, even having two weeks where this is obviously a kind of a deload period for those people. And, and we can take this as, I'm not saying don't do anything, don't train, but like you just mentioned, just have two weeks off. If it, you don't necessarily, if you've had a lot of work stress during this period of time, even just having two weeks off and just going on some walks and cracking out some press-ups like you mentioned or anything like that are going to keep you in a, an half decent place because you know we, we know training is a stress and we've got a lot of stress going on in our lives right now with what's going on like if you have been training hard don't be afraid to also use this as a bit of a plan delos which in in layman's terms is what people use within the strength world to kind of periodization and start the next block of training once they kind of take themselves to the edge of the cliff and they're about to fall off from recovery standpoint and fatigue standpoint and then they drop the training volume right down and the intensity is right down to be able to, be able to bounce back again so i think even even mentioning it like just take a take a two weeks off and just utilize these going for walks put a lot of effort into your your sleep and things like that will be just as probably as as vital as um, looking at what home workout you can do online right now, won't it? Yeah, and, and that's the big thing is, you know, and this is where like health and performance are typically on opposite ends of the continuum, right? And what I, what I think about, you know, most of the things that we do in a gym, we like to think of them as healthy, but when we look at their effects on our overall general health, they're actually not. Right, you know, we know that risk and we do them anyway because we enjoy them, but driving performance unneeded is just accumulating unneeded stress, right? We just create a stressful environment. We create stimulus that again, will lead to tissue adaptation over time. Ideally, that's, that's the idea there, right? Whether it's muscle growth or whether it's coordination or whether it's aerobic output, mitochondrial and capillary density, right? Like adding stress to any tissue will elicit growth and adaptation within that tissue. That's the way you know, allostatic mechanisms work. 
And doing that over and over and over again, you know, it's healthy to a point, but the way that a lot of people train actually isn't healthy when we look at long-term health, right? There's a reason like bodybuilders aren't living into their 80s and 90s. And like high-level athletes typically die a little younger as well, especially anaerobically power-based athletes, right? Whereas when we talk about like the health spectrum by, the, by its truest sense, what our bodies are really meant to do from a just evolutionary perspective, right? We're still very much in the, in the genome of, of, the, of our hunter-gatherer ancestors, right? Where our bodies are really designed for consistent low-level activity throughout the day. Right. And that's where like walking is super beneficial for people. Right. And, and getting those steps and accumulating steps and then very like limited short term spurts of high duration, high intensity exercise, like where we'd be hunting or fighting. Right. Or fleeing. Right. You know, so our bodies are kind of made to do those things. Right. Even the way that we used to hunt was persistence hunting. Right. Is where we're 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 aerobically based organisms not anaerobically based like compared to other animals like that's where we have a strategic advantage is our ability to do long-term aerobically based things and our body is designed for that the anaerobic training aspect of things and you know strength training whatever that's healthy to a point but the way most of us do it actually isn't super healthy long term if we're not doing the aerobic work with it right so this is a good chance for a lot of us to build up that engine and build up a better overall sense of health when it comes to that, right? When, when you go walking outside for 10,000 steps or, or more or whatever, right, you're going to be outside for anywhere between, you know, 60 to two, you know, 60 minutes to two hours, you're going to be getting sunshine. You're going to be kind of reorganizing circadian rhythms because seeing the sun during the day is super important, right? You're going to be, you know, getting into patterning and looking at gait, getting some heart rate work, getting some cardiovascular work. And those are all super important things just for overall, you know, biological health. Um, and you're also going to be driving more metabolic, you know, efficiency throughout the day. And one of the most important things you do, you can do to actually improve your sleep at night is move more during the day. Right. And, you know, so you're going to be driving, you know, efficiency within a lot of other systems that maybe you weren't getting before, you know, and ideally you're doing a little bit of both, but you know, a lot of the people that we work with, like they train an hour a day or, you know, four to five times a week and they don't do much else. They're pretty sedentary outside of that. Well, that's not a healthy lifestyle training four hours a week or training six hours a week and doing nothing else. That's not healthy. Right. You know, when it comes to actual, like, cardiovascular based health um, because when you look at you know human longevity like cardiovascular like that's the gold standard right so if you're if you've got you know a 1500 pound total in powerlifting, but you've got a resting heart rate in the 80s that's not a healthy individual by any medical standards right if you've got a very low body fat percentage and you train hypertrophy all the time and you eat pretty well but you still have a resting heart rate in the 70s and 80s that's not actually a medical definition of health, right? So again, I think we have to rethink like what some of these things are. Like having high output or looking really good doesn't mean that you're actually healthy in that sense. And there are a lot of things that you can do to drive health outside of the gym. And most of the ways that we drive health are probably gonna take place outside of the gym. 
Yeah, so this is, this is a good opportunity for people to lower the intensity and increase a lot of the other stuff. And I like training hard and lifting hard as much as anybody. Like I love weight training, but I understand what it is too. Yeah, that's a that's a really good point that you, that you made there. It's I, I've seen that with a lot of the clients that I've worked with over the years, highly strong, stressful businessmen and women who, like you said, they've got this really high resting heart rate. The jobs are highly demanding, a lot of stress accumulated on them mentally, obviously, which rubs off therefore physically. And then they're spending these times in the gym battering themselves for even 40 minutes, 60 minutes, doing a certain type of training all the time. And when it comes to times like this, it is a really good time to, to utilize and use these opportunities to do things that are a little bit more low effort, uh, like, you, like you mentioned, just walking and things like that. And obviously, we're going to get two categories of people during this time out where we've got people like myself. I usually do 20,000 20, steps a day with my personal training. Me being sat down now, I'm like, oh my God, this is a nightmare. And then you've got people who are obviously sedentary in their lifestyle who are now working from home or got the opportunity to work from home where they can get outside and walk the dog three times, twice a day, depending on where they are. We've just introduced an hour in the UK for outdoor activity. But essentially, they can kind of take more control of the day to do a lot more walking, go out in the garden, whatever it is do some manual labor at home there's lots of things that we can do to kind of drive drive health in a way and I, I like the when you mentioned about the fact that yeah just cracking out some press-ups and these body weight type stuff that we've worked on this static dynamic work isometric work we can a able to do them more frequently because we'll be more and more recovered from them won't we? rather than necessarily doing this high neural, this type of systemic fatigue and exercises that completely wipe us out for the day. We're not going to accumulate as much muscle damage because we're not in the gym pounding hack squats or leg presses, whatever it may be. We're just simply doing some wall sits, isometric work where we can actually work that quite frequently, therefore up our volume and therefore keep some degree of body composition as well as not compromising health throughout this process. Yeah, I mean, we've been even more recently before, you know, the COVID stuff, like on, on most of our programs, we use an isometric warm-up uh, five days a week, maybe six, right? Like we keep that, you know, kind of a constant within our programming anyway now, just because of the, the benefits of just tissue health, whether we're talking about, you know, muscular tissue and kind of that BFR response, or we're talking about even, you know, um, connective tissue and looking at patella and tendon health. Right. And again, because when we look at tissue response, the same thing, that connective tissue, we stress it in that kind of low risk environment. We will stimulate more growth and regrowth within that tissue. So we also get a lot of people who, again, you know, most of our people are coming from various sports backgrounds. They might have, you know, knee pain or prior knee injuries or ankle issues or whatever. And we're seeing a whole lot of just uh, a whole lot of our people are just feeling better from a joint perspective from a lot of this stuff as well. And, and, and that's a lot of stuff that, you know, I got from uh, Dr. Tommy John, Jake Tura also posts a lot of good stuff about that as well. And those are people we've communicated a lot with over the past, you know, year uh, through social media and kind of talked about with what the isometrics can do, whether we're looking at the eccentric orientation or the concentric, the overcoming isometrics where you're pushing against things to generate more, uh, again, central nervous and power production. 
and then looking at those standard dynamics, um, those again, we're talking about them as like low level intensity exercises, but they're brutally hard. Like I've never met anybody who likes to do standard dynamics, right? And what we're talking about there is three, three tempos, right? So we'll do anywhere, you know, a circuit of three to four exercises, five to six sets of 10, right? So it's a minute of work time when you look at six total seconds per rep. And there's no stopping at end ranges, right? Of flexion and, and extension. You're just going up and down, right? Through the concentric and eccentric uh, phases of that movement, right? So everything's three seconds up, three seconds down. And we'll do it with goblet squats. We'll do it with push-ups. We'll do it with uh, hamstring bridges or like an RDL if you've got some weights. Um, and then like suspension rows, uh, typically if we've got somebody who, or banded rows, if you've got the equipment to do them. And they're extremely difficult, right? Because we'll, we'll allow for usually about 30 seconds in between. But essentially what you get there is a ton of like arterial flow where you get a huge pump like within the muscle tissue and you don't get the venous dumping because of the constant tension. So you just get to where you feel like you can't even move when you get to that it's like and i think even the, the podcast that james and i recorded earlier this week like if you're doing push-ups that style like make sure you're not doing them in front of like a girl you're trying to impress because I, like i've had to finish those out with knee push-ups a lot and, and it's like i'm not super strong but i bench press well over 300 pounds and when you're failing on sets of 10 push-ups like that means something's hard that's not easy to do right you know so I think it's, again, there's this misconception that because this stuff is lower intensity, that it's easy, right? And it's not easy. It's very difficult. You're just driving a different type of effort. And that's super important to think about. Um, you know, so we do a lot of that. And then we do a lot of like anti-glycolytic work as well. Where we'll do, typically we do goblet squats and push-ups because they're the least complex of the movements um, and kind of the hardest to screw up. And we'll do five sets of max reps with 20 seconds rest between. Mm -hmm. So again, like I did these with push-ups the other day. And like the first rep, trying to keep pretty good form, just one, one tempos on this, nothing crazy. I got, you know, somewhere in the mid thirties. I don't remember by the last set, I think I did, you know, four or five before I hit you know, absolute failure. And literally my pecs were cranking up the entire rest of the day. Like when I was trying to eat, take a shower, do whatever. Right. So doing the same thing with goblet squats, it's terrible. Like it's not fun. It's just lactic wash the entire time after the first two sets. Right. So you can drive a ton of stimulus and a ton of different capacity driven mechanisms, right. Without really any way, like you can do that with body weight squats. If you want to, you'll just accumulate more reps over time. Like I'll do them with usually a 24 to 28 kg, you know, kettlebell and a goblet form. Um, but again, like that's just not intense from a weight perspective, but it's incredibly challenging and it will create a high stimulus and a high demand for recovery. No, it's, they're, they're absolutely brutal. I did some split squats where it's five seconds down, five seconds up. And I did some press ups as well myself the other day. And literally they, they really do shoot your ego down, don't they? <laughs> Is volunteering to do those like we we work with uh, like a couple power lifters who are squatting in like the mid 700s that do their standard dynamic goblet squats with the 24 kilo bell <laughs> yeah wow they hate it right you know 
And part of that is, again, looking at different ranges because we make them do a narrower stance and not their typical wide setup. But the other part of it is they're not used to driving tension and volume. Like they're on the complete other end of the spectrum of output where they don't do anything for over three reps for half mm -hmm. the year, right? And we're making them now do five to six rounds of a minute of time under tension throughout that process with very little recovery. And it just drives a completely different tissue adaptation and stimulus. Yeah, it, going back to that simple, not easy, what you, what, you, what you keep mentioning and, and not taking away something that's so important. Like I always say to people, press-ups are the exercise you got given when you was a kid at school for doing punishment. Uh, they're the exercise that are so underutilized, even in the gym these days. I, I see people doing all these fancy stuff and not even just getting some getting a, a belt around you and doing some, doing some press-ups in a rack and in, incline press-ups. They're absolute bang for the buck that people think they're kind of too big time to do, don't they? Yeah, I mean, even even with our like gym-based programs, like you know, under normal circumstances, like we we do like that wall constraint with the feet against the wall push-up as an accessory, at least one day a week in just about every push-up, where we're looking at full rib cage retraction at, at end range extension. We're looking at full elbow and shoulder extension. We're looking at getting internal rotation of the humerus right and driving uh you know more more serratus and more pec minor through the end range of that and if you do those right with with a even a 2-2 tempo like sets of 10 are brutal right and it, and it also if you're looking at that retracted rib cage and you're looking at a neutral pelvis it turns into a moving plank like mm -hmm. the way push-ups like nobody's pelvis and rib cage are scraping the ground on these right like everything stays elevated the entire time and they're extremely hard. And a lot of the people that we work with find those way harder than the actual bench press work they're doing because we're not allowing for the thoracic extension. We're not allowing for just constant external rotation of the humerus and retraction of the scapulas. We're making people go through full range of motion there. And it's much more difficult than they, than they imagine definitely going into it yeah it'll be some good it'll be interesting to see when obviously people start implementing this type style of training and this other ways of doing things and not going to the gym and doing exercises wrong obviously we see people butchering exercises left right and center at the gym but even just from a standpoint of doing what we spoke about going back to the basics doing them efficiently with a different type of thought process which is going to create a different stimulus it'll be interesting to see how many people do start to probably see a body compositional change from the way that they look from actually applying these principles of training now instead of it just going to the gym and like you mentioned before doing bench press where they just literally got so much thoracic extension lumbar extension they're actually getting creating nothing across the chest yeah. it'll be really interesting to see how people start to change the way they think towards training i think could be a hopefully what people have maybe got from our conversation today just before we wrap this one up kyle because i know that you you're probably busy with a lot of other stuff as well it'd be great to just kind of run down a, a typical kind of how people can structure their week in terms of the training from what we've gone through from a, a velocity standpoint you spoke about type of how what can we do because we can't do heavy deadlifts or heavy squats how we can implement someone's weekly schedule going about speaking about the static dynamic work, the isometric work, some kind of time circuit sets and building an aerobic work capacity. 
throughout this window that we have available to us right now to really drive home, how would you structure somebody, some, some like my listeners here, I know it's obviously varied across the board for different individuals, but from a, how, they sh- how they, should they approach their training and how could they set up each day taking into consideration these principles of training that we've mentioned today to keep them healthy, to keep them physically fit, and also keep them to keeping the body composition that they may have uh, attained over the last period of time. Yeah, so we typically do a lot of like three, three splits where we'll have three strength-based days and three like conditioning-based days. And we tend to escalate intensity throughout the week. So our first day on Monday, like we're gonna throw a ton of uh, isometrics at people. And then probably do something in the realm of, you know, just um, a very capacity driven uh, circuit of, you know, squats and push-ups, where we might do anywhere between five to 10 sets of 10 at two, two tempos afterwards. So we'll do five minutes accumulated time of split squat isos, uh, probably like a a hamstring glute bridge, and then um, like a bear plank position, like 90-90 type position. plank um, on your hands and knees with the knees elevated slightly. Um, and, and then again, after that, we're going to have them go, go walk 10,000 steps, you know, throughout the day or just in one big chunk if they're able to, depending on what their schedule looks like, you know, so the workout itself is probably going to be somewhere between like 30 and 40 minutes by the time you do the isometrics and the two exercises and for capacity and then, and then a walk followed. And then on uh, the first conditioning day, we're going to drive a ton of intensity, right? From and kind of look at what what we're probably going to do there is like a series of sprints, right? Anywhere between five to ten hill sprints, and then we're probably going to look at anywhere between five to ten sets of ten like kettlebell swings afterwards, right? Um, and again, that whole workout might take twenty minutes, depending on what somebody's conditioning level is, and then we're going to tell them to go walk right and get the 10,000 steps in plus and then our third day we're going to be looking at kind of that anti-glycolytic work where we're going to do our isometric warm-up but then we're going to have somebody go through again the push-ups and the squats um, five sets of max reps 20 second rest in between of both of those exercises and then we'll let them go through probably like some just choose your own adventure core work where they can look at things like crawling, they can look at mountain climbers, they can look at side planks, things of that nature. And we're just gonna give them a bucket of exercises to choose from. Our Thursday conditioning day is going to be like that LICT block, where we're gonna look at two 10 minute blocks, or one, maybe one minute, one 10 minute block for, for people who are a little less trained of step ups. Um, and then we're gonna look at anywhere between three to six sets of two minute HICT blocks where they can drive a little bit more intensity, might be low level plyo, somewhere in that like, again, 20 to 24 inch uh, height box, maybe a little lower for somebody who's not used to doing it. It might be med ball slams, something of that nature. Um, And then on Friday, we're gonna do like a statodynamic circuit and drive just as much volume as we possibly can to get a big stimulus, where we're gonna do a push-up variation, a squat variation, a hinge variation, and a pull variation. Um, five to six sets of 10, 30 seconds between exercises, three, three tempos for everything. And then on Saturday, like we're going to tell someone like, go for a hike, like go take a long hike in the woods, take a long walk with your family, you know, go play a sport, chase a ball around, whatever you need to do. 
but try to get like 40 minutes to 60 minutes of just mid-level, moderate-level aerobic intensity. And we're going to try to throw the isometric warm-up into all the days, uh, but we're going to try to vary kind of energy system usage throughout the actual week and be, you know, again, be as minimal as you have to be with what the equipment you have. If you've got more equipment available to you, you can add some other things into it, but assuming that you don't have much, uh, even if you're doing the goblet squats with a backpack full of books, right? Just turn around backwards so the the pack is on your on your front side, right? You can do something from that perspective to load it a little bit. No, I really like how you laid that out, Kyle. Um, so basically, they're doing three resistance tile types of training three times a week and three conditioning days three times a week as well. So we've got six days of work there, alternating between one and the other, and just using different kind of techniques and creating different types of stimulus from each one um is a really good way to think about it and like you say it's very simple you could like you mentioned before you've got you could just do a press up and a goblet squat for all your exercises all week but how you carry them out are what's going to make the difference here one day you like you said before you can do the isometrics you could do some really slow tempos you could do them really fast where you're doing max reps and you're accumulating as much volume is in a period of time so you're kind of getting the the best of everything within whilst keeping it very very simple you can make them as easier as or as hard as humanly possible basically you can add so many variations of kit around the house we can make everything more versatile more fun and it's just it, it, that's what i want you to really get out of today's chat with you is it's under helping them understand a little bit um why they're doing certain things as opposed to it just being the same thing every day or feeling like they can't progress during this period of time. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that's the big thing is when you're limited on options, you don't necessarily need to create more exercises, right, to do. You, you need to think about how you can uh, apply that exercise differently across the board, right? Like, I don't need to figure out five or six different variations of a squat or a hinge or a press or a pull, I need to find, you know, one to two variations that I can apply through different tempos, different ranges of motion and different volume constraints. Right. And that's going to give me a ton of variability just from a muscle integration standpoint to an energy system standpoint, to a cardiovascular standpoint, uh, throughout the, the course of an actual week. Absolutely brilliant. Now, I think that's more than enough to, for people to sink the teeth into, Kyle, on that one today. Uh, obviously, I'm sure we could have talked shop all day about this type of stuff, and it would be great to get you on again to talk about more training stuff down the line once everyone's allowed back in the gym. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, so, yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say a big thank you. Just before we wrap it up, could you just give the listeners a little bit of a rundown about your website, where they can find you, and, and I'm sure they'll they'll be able to head over to Kyle's Instagram page because I will say I'm a a big fan of going onto your page and looking at some exercises I'll be honest with you in terms of what we spoke about today and a bit of variety and how you program and you the ways you think about it and I'm sure listeners will be able to go to your profile and actually learn a hell of a lot from the workouts that you put on because you actually put rationale behind them and why you're doing it and I think that's that's always a good thing to see rather than just the carousel of exercises for the sake of Instagram interaction. Yeah, no, we, we try we try to definitely put the, the whys behind the what's we're doing and, and give the rationale and, and and thank you for that. Um yeah, my Instagram is just uh compound performance underscore. 
uh, somebody had the compound performance without the underscore. Uh, so I, I had to put the underscore there. Uh, and then the, the website itself is just um, www.rebel-performance.com. Uh, and that, that outlines, that gives every, everybody information about, you know, our, our training programs, our trainer development programs from an educational standpoint. Um, it has our blog and our podcast and all that stuff. The, the podcast is uh, Rebel Performance Radio, um, which is uh, Matt, James, and I are always on. And then we also you know, have some guests coming in and some pretty good people in there. Um, and yeah, then uh, my two partners, uh, you'll see uh, the... The business page on Instagram is at the Rebel Performance, um, and then um, Matt Domney is just at Matt Domney, and, and he posts quite a bit of stuff too. So, we, yeah, we try to put out as much free content as possible and give people, you know, as much explanations and rationales to what we're doing as possible, and just, you know, that that seems to be a pretty good formula for us. We're definitely big believers in, you know, not limiting what we put out and just giving people as much information as they, they can possibly get. So. Yeah, and there's a ton of programs that you have on the um, train. Well, part of the Rebel Performance, the train, which yep. uh, I've been a member for for some time. And there's shitloads of programs on there. So if anyone, when they do get back to the gym and they're looking for a program, Kyle, you've got an AMRAP program on there, which looks pretty brutal. Um, my girlfriend started it actually last week before we went on lockdown. So unfortunately, now she's gutted she can't continue it. But uh, she did the four miles on the assault bike and the 100 kettlebell swings, and I don't think she was feeling very good for quite a bit. But. <laughs> it's a really bad 30 minutes, you know, by the time you get through all that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting platform because we do have, yeah, we've got like the AMRAP program, which Matt and I put together. We've got uh, the hybrid program, which James put together. But we've also got programs from, you know, Dr. Pat Davidson, Dr. Michelle Bolin, Steve Tripp, Andrew Triana, Ryan McClure, like a lot, Lance Goyke, a bunch of other coaches. Dean Guido has a program on there as well. So just a ton of just phenomenal coaches um, have contributed to that as well. I think we've got 13 programs total now, and we're looking to upload a few more from some other uh, really quality coaches as well. And with subscription to that site, you have access to all of those programs, which is a pretty cool uh, feature. Big thank you, mate, for that. And um, I appreciate it, and I hope to speak to you soon. Absolutely. Likewise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Fat Fix podcast. And I hope you all enjoyed today's show. If you have not already, please make sure you subscribe and you don't miss out on any future episodes. I also can't stress enough how much it means to me, to those that have left me a star rating and written review on iTunes. This will ultimately help me reach more people like you and really help them too. So please give me two minutes of your time to do this if you haven't already. Lastly, any shares and mentions on social media is also massively appreciated. I will see you very soon for the next episode. Thank you very much.